Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while Bo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and man, these chapters really were a gut punch. Yeah, this week really delivered. I, yeah, I don't know if I've got the intestinal fortitude to go on. Pancreas. I'm Scott Daly, and this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of its complicated relationship statuses, troublesome team-ups, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we continue Arc 11 Blinding with an interlude. We have 11.a, side piece, as well as chapters 11.4 and 11.5, or as I like to call them, 11.ohnoweld and 11. Oh, no, Rain. <laughs> First side piece and disjoint spy on break under through Ciders meeting and relay all that information to their teammate and boss, Love Lost, who we find out joined up with Cradle. And then our formerly best metal boy delivers some bad Savetta relationship news to, to Victoria, who, uh, who, who takes it super, super well. Finally, our teamed up team executes a three pronged attack on the enemies, which goes just about as well as you would expect. Matt. What did you think of these three chapters? Well, on the one hand, I was about as hype as possible to see the break on through to the other siders join forces and have some <laughs> like positive interactions. And uh, I'm really, I mean, for good or ill, I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, on the other hand, I spent the entire week like, like physically sick about the thought of Weld uh, breaking up with Sveta. And just, just like have terrible anxiety about this. It's, it's affecting my life. I'm losing sleep. Uh, but other than that, um, really, really delightful chapters. Oh, great. I'm, well, I'm glad you enjoyed them so much and had no ill effects to them mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think How about you. I think these are great. I think these are a great group of chapters. And the thing that I really liked as we started going through them is how kind of these chapters systematically go um, through each and every one, it, like different facets of what a cape relationship will look like right like we we start off with side piece and disjoint then we move into the fucking garbage trash mess that is uh the current sveta and weld situation <laughs> and then we we wrap things up with rain pining for aaron in front of chastity which is just <laughs> just, just so many levels of fucked up so like it's just like this is the relationship episode um and i can't wait to talk about all those Great relationships. Me too, me too. All right, uh, some quick announcements. Uh, hey, Scott. Yeah. Um, happy birthday to We've Got Ward. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. one year. One year ago this week, uh, we transitioned over to Ward uh, from We've Got Worm, Be start, starting with uh, Glowworm. Um, it's been a been a crazy journey so far, hasn't it? Yeah, only, uh, what, two two more years to go, probably? It feels about right. <laughs> Yeah, it's really cool. Um, one year doing this, we're coming up on two years doing the show in general in March, I think. And I think that's about when we're going to hit our 100th episode, too, is sometime in March. So it's a really exciting time. It's kind of crazy that we've been doing this this long. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it's been this long, um, but we've covered like millions of words <laughs> and it only took us millions of hours. <laughs> 
well, maybe we can do something special for the two year or for the 100 episode mark or something. Who knows? I think we are. I think we'll do something. I haven't quite uh, come up with some ideas yet, but my brain's turning. Yeah. Figure that stuff. All right. All right. Well, um, those of you listening to the recording probably heard something different at the beginning of this episode. You probably heard a different introduction. Um, Basically, what we are doing is we are swapping out our intro and outro music because every time we have published it under the current song we have, we get copyright flagged on YouTube, um, which limits. I think it blocks like four countries, including Canada, from listening on YouTube. I know that a lot of you listen via other devices and other programs, but we just felt like that was really limiting and we didn't want to like continually be copyright flagged. So Matt has graciously written two pieces of new music for our intro and outro. Um, the one we played at the start of the episode will be one option and the one we're going to play at the very end of the episode will be the other. So what we're asking you guys for is to let us know which you like better so we can decide which one. I think Matt, we're in the situation where we both like both of them and we can't and we can't pick which one we want more. So we thought it would be fun to kind of toss that to the listeners. Yeah, they both have pros and cons in my mind. So uh, and it's really hard to be objective about something that you have created. So, yeah, please let us know. Yeah, I think so. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of set up a, a Twitter poll for that. Um, but if you don't use Twitter, um, so you can't vote via Twitter or whatever. Um, you can send us an email or you can comment in the Reddit thread and uh, we'll just say intro music or outro music. And that's how we'll differentiate between the two songs. Um, so sorry to see the song we picked go because we really, really liked that song and thought it fit perfectly. But I think you made some good music here and I'm kind of excited to see uh, which one everyone likes more. Yeah, I think it's better this way. Also, at this moment in the podcast, I haven't cut uh, it into the intro and outro yet, so I'm not entirely sure which (laughs) 20 seconds of your song I'm going to pick yet. So I don't even know what it's going to sound like yet. Yay. Yay. I will leave it to your discerning ear. Well, I'll probably probably shoot it to you after (laughs) I'm done just to make sure you like it. Fair enough. All right, last uh, announcement. Uh, so we made up our minds about what we're going to do with the discussion questions, um, and that is we're going to move that section uh, to the end of the show. Is that right, Scott? Yeah, yeah. I think we just kind of yeah. figured um, what happened was this this past week we got um, a lot of feedback <laughs> that was to the effect of, no, you're getting rid of the discussion question. Don't do that. Almost to the same level that we got when of people saying that it's their least favorite part of the show. So we just kind of figured it just fit better at the back of the show. We didn't want to get rid of it entirely because I think like a lot of you, we really do enjoy the audience interaction. And, you know, looking at the Reddit thread this week, we saw the dip in the activity because people aren't discussing and, and talking about uh, a discussion question. So there's not, there's just not as much to talk about in each individual thread. So we want to encourage that kind of communication, um, that kind of discussion going. So we didn't want to just get rid of it. So we're just going to move it. We're just going to move it to the back. Yeah. And, you know, after several episodes, we might uh, assess how that's going and then maybe make further changes. We're always kind of tweaking, but I think that's going to be preferable. Um, It's preferable for us because this way we don't run out of gas, you know, in the last part of discussing the actual chapters themselves. Um, you know, yeah. d- due to having talked about the the discussion question yeah. for a long time at, at the top of the episode. I agree. I'd much rather have to rush through the discussion question comments than rush through the chapter analysis. So I think it yep. makes a lot of sense. And and another thing I'm going to pledge to do um, is I'm going to put 
timestamps back in the show once we start doing the discussion question stuff. So um, even if you want to skip it, um, we'll have timestamps for the each chapter for the discussion question section and for the outro. Um, so you can easily jump between all that stuff. Um, it takes me a little bit more time to do that. So I stopped doing it because I'm lazy, but uh, it's just probably a best practice. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> Yeah. And as for today, there was no discussion question last week um, for all of the reasons that we've been talking about. Uh, and also because we're doing three chapters today rather than, than the normal two. And so we're going to just spend all the time we can talking about those chapters. And that said, let's move on into it. All right. Let's do it. We start chapter 11.a, which is our first interlude of Blinding. Uh, and it's a surprising character. It's Sidepiece, our favorite member of Love Lost's crew. Uh, and the first line reminds us of Sidepiece's trademark terrible puns. Which are my favorite things ever, as, yes. as we saw at the top of the episode. Um, <laughs> there, so I, I really love this chapter. I've, I've loved Sidepiece as this, this weird, funny, hilarious character. And I like this little moment we get to kind of dive more deeply into who she is as a person. Um, and I think we have a lot to say about that. But one of the things that I particularly enjoyed, Matt, about this chapter um, is is the voice of it. Um, I, like we, this is the interludes in this book are written in this third person voice. Um, we're not in first person, but they still like the narrative still kind of like strongly um, mirrors the personality of the whoever whoever is the point of view character in the chapter. And I, I liked how much we saw like side piece isms you know, leak into the narrative voice to the, the, not just in the dialogue that made it really enjoyable for me. And, and gosh, gosh, I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. She, she does have a very strong kind of uh, presence when she's, you know, a, a third person character. And when we're in her head, it's, it's just as strong. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think it also kind of lets you see, um, there's, there's moments where, uh, like her, particular like really kind of crude outrageous type of um attitude leak out and and because we're in her head and because we can see that shift in narrative voice we kind of start to get to map maybe if there's specific reasons she's doing that at specific times if that's something related to um her personality and stuff and i think um that 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 voice in here allows you to do that and i can't wait to talk about some of that stuff yeah i think you're right so Sidepiece and Disjoint trudge through the snowy woods on a spying mission with Disjoint using his power to assist his girl through the underbrush. He's he's literally giving her his hand um to help to help her walk over <laughs> difficult ground. He's Yeah, right. It's great. It, it's a really I mean it it's it's great because it's it's showing um like his his conscientiousness. It, it's perfect show don't tell, right? Because it's it's showing that he's He's looking out for her. He's taking care care of her. He's supporting her, and and they're having this this back and forth dialogue. You know, they're the the, the two are flirting and discussing the particulars of their mission at the same time, um, and you you really get a sense of like how these two are together. Right. And I think that's what a lot of this, especially this early part of the chapter is doing, right. Is defining their relationship for us. And I think it's really fascinating when you take that and, and contrast it to some of the other relationships we have defined for us, or at least updated for us in the chapters following this one. Yeah. So, um, I just like this little detail that side piece has these pistols kind of hidden in the space where her abdomen used to be. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of fun stuff that's done with with her power in this chapter that we'll get to. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, the, the, content, the content of their discussion is that they're talking about Love Lost and her team with Sidepiece putting forth a thesis that Love Lost values information above all else, which is why they're on this spying mission. But Disjoint disagrees and basically says Love Lost's focus, uh, what she wants, is kind of something like to exist in a perpetual state of rage and getting the information is just instrumental to that end. Yeah, I, I God, I really love I really love this conversation, not just for the content of it, but what um, it's kind of in, in a, the show don't tell kind of way saying about disjoint and side piece like side piece offers up this information. They're talking and she says love lost isn't that smart. She's not like like smart in a books sense kind of way and not even in like a street sense kind of way. It's, it's more just that she has, she just has a very good eye. Um, she's very observant and, and she values information and then goes into this whole like explanation of, of the different kind of, uh, warlords or gang leaders that she's seen and how they prioritize money, um, and, and favors over specifically information. And that's not the way level Lost is really operating. Um, and, and and disjoint like disagrees with her. And I love the way the way in which he disagrees with her. Like he doesn't just shut her down. Like he isn't just dismissive of her. He's just like like he doesn't just say, no, you're wrong. He says, I think you're a little off. Um, I don't. I, he says he communicates. He says, I, I like I don't agree with the information part. Like, I think that's a more of a means to an end than it is the end itself. And I'm pointing this out because I, I really do think that what Wildbo is doing here in the first part of this chapter is constructing this like moderately healthy relationship right like we've already talked about how disjoint is kind of helping her through the brush um he's he seems very caring and concerned for her um he he disagrees with her in a very communicative controlled manner um and like there's this moment where side piece like immediately says she'd like bang the shit out of love lost if if gotten the opportunity to and he doesn't like bristle up and get all jealous or whatever um he just kind of says he can't say anything on the bounds that it would incriminate him. And then she's like, no, like, don't worry about it. Like, I don't care. Like, it's just this, like they're, they're communicating and they're being honest with each other. And it's kind of remarkable considering how borderline crazy these people are. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's basically, it's just a string of positive examples of how to communicate and interact with each other. Yeah. Um, even in a situation where you don't agree, which I think is, is where it really is telling. Right. And, and, and I don't like, it's not just that like disjoint is being like the chivalrous gentleman, right? It's like, there's, there's this symbiotic protected relationship here because in a few minutes he exposes himself like because of having to remove his eyes and his ears and, and makes himself very vulnerable without her support. And she's there to protect him. Like this is not just one person like looking out for the other. This is them looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So Sidepiece uh, actually thinks explicitly about this relationship. She thinks about how disjoint is the first time she's been with a guy who gives her this thing that she needs, um, which is like someone actually on her level to kind of rely on in, in a mutual way. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't think that she's very good at giving him what he needs, which is, in her words, just someone to be nice to him. Yeah. And I, I really like this, this background information we get on side piece. She says, um, that even at a young age, she's been dating people older than her. Right. She says like when she was 14, she was dating 16 year olds. When she was 16, she was dating 18 year olds. And then we see the moment at which her trigger event occurs. Um, she says around 18, she didn't 
everything went to hell and she didn't come out of it in one piece. It is interesting here that like she doesn't like go into detail about the trigger Mm -hmm. event. Right. Like I think that's kind of like a a usual formula for these um, different cape point of view chapters that we kind of learn maybe some of the specifics of their trigger event. And we don't do that here. It's almost as if like she's still like so uncomfortable and unsettled with it that she doesn't even want to think about it too much. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's accurate. Like it was definitely a choice to shy away from like even the, the general nature of what happened. It was basically just, I mean, she, she actually makes a joke out of it, right? Right. She says she she didn't come out of it in one piece, which is a classic side piece joke. (laughs) And, but the thing is like, I, I think, I think you've pointed out that like she uses humor somewhat to deal with things that she's not comfortable with. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just humor. She uses her sexuality too, whenever she gets in an mm-hmm. uncomfortable situation. But I mean, we see that whatever happens during this trigger event, um, when she manages to collect herself by the time she's 20, she's now going after a 30 year old guy. She's going 10 years older than now. And, um, I think that the nature, like the, the tense of the text is very revealing here because it says, it had taken her a while to try again when she had, she'd been 20 offering herself to 30 year olds to see if they bite. And I think like the phrase offering yourself is very specific here, right? Like that's not, that's not a relationship. That's not, um, any kind of mutual kind of thing. It's, it's nothing like what she and just joint have. This is, this is her off, like just using her sexuality, um, and, and giving it up to these guys. Yeah. And I mean, like that goes along with her, her name side piece, which is this great pun, but it's also a, a term for like just a girl on the side that you don't really care about that you just hook up with, um, and then get rid of when you're tired of them. Like that's, that's kind of what that means. And that's what she's labeled her as. And, and so we get, we start seeing this narrative build around her as this, this woman, this girl who used sex and, and intimacy like that as kind of a survival mechanism, like attaching herself to, to people that were older than her. Um, and I, like, we don't know the details of it yet. Right. Cause she doesn't really dive into that kind of stuff, but we just see that pattern, right. Where she's using it this way. And, um, I think it probably would like pit, fit the parahuman mold if she had some sort of parent father issue or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like drawing attention to her name. Like you just did because, you know, she, she chose her name in all likelihood. Yeah. So this is once again, kind of her t- like taking, taking an epithet someone might have used to describe her and, and kind of owning it and turning it into a joke, uh, which goes perfectly with her, her character. Yeah. Like I, I love, this is like my favorite wild Boat thing is like every, every character is, is consistent in like every detail in a way that that is just endlessly rewarding to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think all this is, is used to really draw that line between the current relationship she's in and those past ones. She's very much used to giving guys the only thing they wanted, which is sex. Um, and suddenly she has this guy who she admits likes all that stuff. Sure. But, uh, doesn't wants wants more than that. And she's like, we get, we get this, this little bit of, uncertainty here where she's not sure if she knows how to how to long term be that type of person he likes um mm-hmm. or, or the type of type of thing that he wants from her um and i, I love that I, I love that that's that's a fascinating little dynamic on their relationship and and again one of the the most healthy relationships depicted on the show today <laughs> by yeah. far um yeah yeah i wonder where this is all gonna go yeah but i think the thing that i really wanted to point out before we move on is just in 
in this frame that we just built of her, we see this moment where um, Disjoint accurately depicts Love Lost, like you said, as this woman who doesn't just want revenge in the short term. She doesn't just want to, like, kill um, kill Rain and then uh, just be, okay, I've accomplished my revenge, I did it. She wants to live in this perpetual state of rage and revenge just forever. Um, and that makes Sidepiece feel uncomfortable. That she, she said hearing that and kind of agreeing with it makes her feel uncomfortable. The playful spot smile dropped away and she found herself staring out across the parking lot. But what does she do right after that? After this, this moment of uncomfort, she immediately starts talking about, um, like how she would hook up with site with, uh, with love lost. She immediately goes back to the, the, the crude. Um, I just, I'm just this person that loves sex all the time. And, and, um, I just want to bang her. And like, it, it is, it is how she deals with this, uncomfortable situations and how she it's how she humor and and that kind of stuff is how she deals with this and it's so telling that you see it in that moment yeah i guess it's a coping mechanism sure say sure and i'm not saying that like sex is bad or whatever or hooking up with whoever you feel like go everyone go have sex with whoever you want to have sex with (laughs) as long as it's consensual do whatever you want but i mean i think it's just interesting that the, the the text is drawing these these lines about um, this character that we've loved seeing all this dirty, ridiculous, hilarious stuff she's been saying in all the chapters we've seen her. And now we're kind of starting to understand that the, the psychology underneath it, uh, it makes her, yeah. it makes her a fun character that I'm now even more interested in. Yeah. Fun, but also like more depth because, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and you can use sexual thoughts and sexual behaviors to like distract yourself and medicate yourself from your problems just as well as you can use any other kind of addiction um right or, or like fixation so i that that's kind of how i see her after this interlude like yes there's there's still the humor there's still like the the, the kind of the crazy energy that makes her um kind of a, a chaotic but fun force uh in, in the story um but also from inside you see that it's from a place of um I don't know, maybe neat having some problems that she needs to distract herself from. Yeah. Put it yeah. that way. Um, so, so disjoint uses his power. Uh, once they get out of the woods to send his eyes and ears to spy on the meeting of the undersiders and the break and uh, breakthrough. She has to keep disjoint safe and balanced while he does this. And she ends up having to throw some exploding acid gallbladder at a mall employee who stumbles upon them. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of the moments that like we were talking about that really makes me like them as a couple because, uh, but you know, scaring the hell out of this poor mall security guy aside, um, disjoint has made himself vulnerable to spy on people and she is there to protect him while he's doing so. And she, she's got his back when he needs it and he's helping her out when she needs it. And that's teamwork. That's it's yeah. good. It's good. I mean, yeah, right. what they're I mean, doing is bad, but it, the, the, the teamwork part is good. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, the, the fact that, so he takes his ears out, right? Yeah. He takes like the whole ear apparatus out. And so he loses his, his sense of balance. Yeah. So not only is she keeping him safe, but she's literally keeping him steady. She's balancing him right. physically, yeah. which is a great like like uh, you know metaphor for right. they are each other's stability. Literally, yeah. I mean, I love that because at at the start of this chapter, he was literally giving her his hand, and now she's literally keeping him upright. Upright, yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah. So after getting all the info on the team meeting, uh, the missing pieces couple joins a fight in progress <laughs> with the rest of the team. 
the team fights a, a patrol block squad and we come to understand the details of side pieces power in this chapter a bit more we learn that she actually feels pain as she tears away chunks of herself uh, quite significant pain um, and we also learn that different organs serve as different types of ordnance, which we, we may have known that, but we learned more detail about it. Uh, like, for example, she uses kidneys full of kidney stones to take down 10 people. Um, I thought, you know, one, one interesting thing about being inside Pieces Head is that the text doesn't dwell too much on whether the people that she's attacking are dead <laughs> or if they're bleeding out or or what exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like, you know, it's just it. Not a priority for her, not something she worries about. No, yeah, we only get to see that at the very end of the fight. Um, see that they're probably not dead, but also need several ambulances. Yeah, uh, and, and isn't it Disjoint who's the one who's like, um, we should call some ambulances? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It, and I think that highlights kind of a difference in, in, in their characters and, you know, it, him being the one person on the team, actually, who would even think of that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> They could, if, if he hadn't said that, you get the sense they would have just left those people there. Yeah, yeah. But you're absolutely right that I, I, I love, I love how the writing, like it gets really, really detailed in in the feelings as she uses her powers. Right, like it's disgusting. Let's, let's, it's, yeah. it's so disgusting and painful sounding. But I just love the writing. Like she, she gripped the kidney and set to tearing it away. There was a sound like a wet cardboard ripping audible snapping as the congealed and hardens part around her old injuries broke away and her right knee trembles with the effort and the pain um that like it's it it hurts her it like she almost collapses to the ground because this hurts so much and yet she kind of loves it yeah right um you know i i kind of went on a mental tangent about this idea that like she's we don't really have any reason to think she's a case 53. We haven't been, you know, other than her, her abdomen, everything else about her looks normal. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, and we also kind of suspect that her abdomen like heals really fast. Like she basically can regenerate these organs. We don't know how fast, but get the sense that it must be on the order of a, a few days. Right. Or maybe even less, but like she's, in, she's basically constantly, like torn up and gaping open at the abdomen because she's just using her power all the time. Um, I guess the, the point of the tangent was like, I, I, I kind of suspected that her power would heal her entirely back to normal if she would stop using her power, but she just never gives it a chance to. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Um, I, I find that so fascinating. I also like, I also like the details of powers. Sometimes like her arm strength is slightly like better than average. It's like mm -hmm. it's like the shard is like, oh, you're going to need to throw these pieces of yourself, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah. here's here's slightly improved arm strength that'll help you out with that. Um, right. Yeah. Like and she, she's she's a pretty good shot with it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And also, of course, need extra arm strength to physically rip oh, your yeah. own body apart. Yeah, that is it's, required. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just fuck you shards. It's like Yeah. It's great. <laughs> not only do your organs explode and you and you have the desire to rip them out of you. Here, let's just make just a little stronger. And you can do yeah. it. it. Still hurts yeah, you. Help you out. Still may want to collapse on the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh so Sidepiece thinks a few times in this chapter about missing damsel, um, but still being angry at her. And she thinks in the course of this there was a kind of romance in the mental picture of the two of them too beat up to move, bloody and dirty and the facades cracking, emotion pouring out. Yes, but this is purely platonic, Matt. She specifies mm -hmm. right after that. It's purely platonic. Uh -huh. Wink. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, I think I think once again, this 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 immediately follows uh, a thought about her relationship that makes her feel uncomfortable. She thinks that disjoint like she's thinking about this fighting and she's worried that disjoint might not be the type of person that is able to have her back during some of the like real, real, real bad fights. Um, and, and, and so it's almost as if like, she's fear, like she's got this relationship that is this relatively normal, um, you know, equitable relationship and she doesn't know what to do with it. And so in the, in that moment of concern, she thinks about uh, a relationship with someone that it would not be that way at all. <laughs> that would be chaotic and destructive and all the things that all her previous interactions with people probably were. Yeah. Something she's more used to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ashley being the constant symbol of chaos and destruction yeah. in the story. So does it, I mean, so it, she basically says in this moment that her goal is going to be to bring Ashley back down into the mud, right? Does that worry you about Ashley at all, Matt? Because um, there's this other Ashley out there that is just getting restless and Sidepiece would probably get along with her a lot more than than the other one. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but I think that's a that's a great opening. Like, I'm I'm not... I'm not too worried about our Ashley like succumbing to side pieces, you know, urges to come back and join Love Lost team. Like that just doesn't strike me as something that Ashley would even really consider. But but Damsel, um, you know, she's still in that phase, you know, mentally where she's going to be like, well, I mean, as long as you're working for me. Right. Um, but. But we've also seen that she can compromise and, you know, with with practical reality when she has to. I, I don't know. It, 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 now that you've made me think of it, it does seem like uh, something that has potential. Yeah. Plus, like with Love Lost's claw hands and uh, and Nailbiter's extendo hands that can turn into claws, there's just a lot of like claw hands action going on in that group, especially if Damsel joins. It's like a match made yeah. in heaven. Yeah, I love this. I love this idea that, that all of the all of the teams have their own seating charts. <laughs> so uh, at this point, the the battle's over, and Love Lost is able to communicate with the team using her Tinker Gloves as a kind of air keyboard that automatically texts all of their phones. Um, and they have this rather lengthy conversation where they're speaking and she's texting them. Side piece has a super annoying ringtone on her phone. <laughs> That goes off every time Love Lost says anything. Um, and eventually Nailbiter like threatens the side piece with the T-1000 finger. And she complies and turns off the ringtone. Uh, it, it, it's a really great s- series of beats, all told. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think we're kind of doing is because I'm going into my, oh, look, this is revealing about the character and let's dive deep and talk about the characters. We've kind of been ignoring the fact that this whole chapter is just frequently hilarious as well. Like, yes, it's this deep interesting introspective dive into this character that we didn't know much about before now, but also it's really fucking funny throughout the entire thing. And, uh, that's, I haven't been focusing on that as much in either of you cause we're really exploring this, but you're absolutely right. This is, I mean, this is hilarious. And there are so many beats like this throughout the chapter that are just like, just her being ridiculous. Like when they get to the battle at first and she's like tossing out puns and disjoint is like yelling at her, like pretending to be in physical pain and like nail biter, like, like throws fingers or like whips fingers at her um, to make her like stop. And it's just, uh-huh. it's all, it's all so funny. She's so irreverent and hilarious and delightful. Yeah. I mean, it, it is funny and I agree of course, but like it, it, it's, it's both funny and kind of interesting how she keeps pushing it too far. Like yeah. 
they're they're kind of pretending to be annoyed with her, but basically a nail biter is telling her like you're approaching the line of like actually really annoying me yeah. when she does the thing where she like almost stabs her. Um, you, you get the sense <laughs> nail biter probably wouldn't have actually stabbed her, but like everyone like freezes and it's clearly a tense moment. So maybe she would have just to make a point. Yeah, I I don't like I, I think I mean. I think that's like they're dealing with her is constantly her walking right up to that line and, and them having to physically stop her. But it is interesting that like when we get back to their headquarters in a bit and Cradle shows up and like everything gets super serious, like side pieces, like knowingly, like even I know the times when to not pull shit and be ridiculous. Like even she she's able to in those moments at least go, OK, this is enough of my nonsense now. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Um, So, yeah. So, so then uh, we basically, they talk about, um, the meeting with, with the undersiders. Um, so, so at first we, we get some clues that lead us to suspect that this team is involved in the attack on the navigators somehow. We're not exactly sure how yet, um, but it'll be cleared up by the end of the chapter, I think. We also get a bit like a bit of a rehash on the state of all the major factions. I kind of go over like what teachers doing, what some of these mercenaries are doing. Um, it, it, we're, we're kind of just setting all the pieces on the board. Right. Then then Love Lost gets some kind of warning that we're not too clear on at the time. Uh, and she rushes uh, the team back to base where they find Cradle. So do you assume that like the urgent warning that brought her back to the base was sensing Cradle, uh, Cradle arriving? Yeah, yeah, because we get this line from Nailbiter as they're rushing back that says, new security measures extending her sensory ranges and feeling out for tech. It takes a minute. So the, my guess was she increased the stuff like primarily because of Lookout, like looking for certain kind of tech, um, and it picked up on cradles tech. And so she got a sense that, that someone with tech was in her place. So they rush back because I get the feeling that it's not until they get there and see him that they know it's him there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure one way or the other, but yeah, I think they definitely knew there was an intruder. Um, so, so cradle essentially confirms that he's the one behind the navigator attack at this point and that he was using disjoints power to do it or a scan of disjoints power. Um, and basically, he says he's working on version 2.0. He wants to get his own scan of Disjoint's power, so maybe it'll be a little bit different and maybe worse than the first one. And he wants to do something even worse than what he already did. Yeah, and it's not just Disjoint's power, though. He he kind of look, gestures towards Sidepiece and wants a scan of her power. Um, mm -hmm. and, and her response to that is, as long as it doesn't hurt me, go for it. Yeah. Um, the, the implications of this are very... Very bad, Matt. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I thought it was interesting that Sidepiece actually pretty much sits out this conversation. Like, not only does she know not to be irreverent, but she doesn't really inject herself into it at all. Like, she, she gets that this is kind of the the the, uh, the dangerous people are talking now yeah. and she should maybe lay low. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so the thing I like <clears throat> the most about this is we've got we, we've gotten a reveal. We know who was responsible for the navigators now. We don't know the details of it. It turns out they uh, Cradle wasn't there himself. Supposedly, they just like he built the tech and then hired some mercenaries to go do it, um, which we get get the kind of indication that they're going to be doing that again. Um, the thing that I love about this so much. Is that there was a chapter an arc ago in which both side piece and disjoint 
were captured. They were in the hero's custody. They had them. And then they had to let them go. And now we learn that Disjoint's power is responsible for the horrible thing that happened to the Navigators. And now we learn that Sidepiece's power and Disjoint's power might be used in some other thing that Cradle wants to be even worse than the last thing. And so I, yep. I checked the timing on this and and I was because I was curious and, and Victoria and company let Disjoint and Sidepiece go the same day as the attack on the Navigators occurred. So it's probably pretty unlikely that Cradle like got Disjoint's power after this moment, built his his tech and then unleashed it all on that same night. That's probably too small of a window. But when you think about Victoria and when you think about how frustrated Victoria is about the fact that they're having to to compromise and make deals with people and and not um, actually punish the bad people for doing the bad stuff. And then we see this moment where two people that they had that they captured. Were used to do terrible things. Like, I don't think the time, the, the logic, like the rational timing of that all is going to be something she's worrying about i think from victoria's point of view this is again something that she should have taken care of or that the system should have taken care of or like these two people should not have been allowed to walk away they should have been locked up and therefore this stuff shouldn't have happened and i just worry like if if version 2.0 does something even worse than the navigator's attack if this succeeds like, what is Victoria going to do? Like, like, what is her reaction going to be to that? Because it, we could see an already frustrated Victoria get real pissed off. Yeah, I, I like your point. And um, I, I think whatever Victoria's reaction is, it's also likely that, like, you know, a, a lot of this book is actually centered around the, the PR aspect of things, mm -hmm. the the public, not just the public perception, but like the way things are spun and the way people use pieces of information um, against against the the capes so like whether victoria takes this well or not this is the kind of thing that could exactly be spun to say like the you know this cape was released and later that day his power was used in this attack and like that right. sentence is factually true and to uh, a normal person it, it sounds much more damning whereas we we know the details we know it didn't quite work that way but Still, it could still be used that way as propaganda. So yeah, definitely an interesting, uh, you know, co uh, I guess coincidence. Um, I'm really glad you pointed this out, though. Yeah, I, I love that because I, I was thinking of just how our, our protagonist would react to it. I didn't stop to think of the whole, um, you know, anti-parahuman sentiment. I think you're absolutely right that like you could build this narrative around the fact that look, these are the people that are supposed to that have 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 we've we've given up our our authority to to protect us the, the the heroes are supposed to be the ones that are protecting us like and this is what they're doing they're letting the bad guys go and then the bad guys are doing horrible horrible things to people um yeah i, I mean that's a very easy narrative to construct um, yeah that that completely you know misses out the the contextual detail of of the decisions to let people go and stuff like that but but is a really great narrative if you want to show that capes are bad in all situations Right. Yep. Well, yeah, so that was the side piece interlude. And, uh, you know, we, we basically wrap it up on this ominous note of what's Gradle going to do. And uh, then we move on into 11.4, where, you know, we're going to be discussing what is going to be done about Gradle. Yeah. And the first 
sentence is the schism remained, (laughs) which is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, So, and basically what's going on is the more aggressive heroes are not present at this meeting and thus the meeting place feels very empty to Victoria. There are a handful of capes that we know, uh, including Weld, Scenarial, and Citrine, and I think a couple others. There's also somebody named Aleph Wolf, who I don't remember hearing about in the story, uh, but apparently they represent the, the like the Wild West kind of hero that's emerged in the uh, post-apocalypse. Yeah, I think we've we've had um, his teams name dropped in the past as talking about the different teams that are have joined up with them, but I don't think we've ever gotten to see uh, him specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I love that opening line. I love this, the schism remained and, and I love how much all of this, this early part sets the tone of the chapter. You automatically get the feeling that, that things aren't going to go too great in between any kind of people in this chapter, because the, you, you've defined the schism, you've defined this, um, this unease that Victoria feels about the lack of heroes present. And, and I love that we echo that beat later on in the chapter when she's in a different room, um, for the exact opposite problem. Um, and I love this, this thing she thinks aloud. I wondered if there was ever a group size that would feel natural. And I kind of think probably not. <laughs> You're probably always going to be uncomfortable for some reason. Yeah. So what just jumped into my head just now is uh, D&D alignment. And basically, there's it, it seems like the um, the chaotic and the, and the lawful heroes are co- sort of breaking apart from each other. Like like here, you basically have the lawful heroes, the, the, the more like, like all the heroes are good. They're on the side of good. But the more chaotic ones are thinking this isn't what we want. But like we, we want to get blood and revenge and and we want to hit back hard. Yeah. So and, and then simultaneously, there's also a lawful chaotic divide among the villains with the undersiders definitely falling more on the lawful side. So there's there's kind of this realignment that we're that we're seeing in these chapters of of the more chaotic elements not necessarily gravitating toward each other in a positive way, but but clashing um, more openly and the more lawful elements aligning to try to stabilize things. Yeah. And I think that's uh, I, you don't necessarily have to go with the D&D metaphor there, but I, I, I kind of I think that's a, a way of framing what's happening uh, with the with the both villain and and hero um, capes in, in these sections. Yeah, I like that. I like that, that the, the more chaotic elements are going further to the wings while whereas the law elements are both side are kind of coalescing together a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well said. Yeah. The, the mayor is also here, Matt. Yeah. Yay. And I love, I love how the text describes Citrine in this moment. Um, she's wearing a yellow shirt that Victoria describes as so striking. It is more striking than some of the, the hero costumes here, but the, but yet is saying that her presence brings even more darkness to an already dark room. She's wearing the color of the sun, but brings only darkness. And I just I love I love that so much. I love it. Yeah, right. I mean, and and you know what she means? Like it's her it's her personality. Right. It's her kind of creepiness. Right, right. and yeah. I mean again, it shows Victoria's just general uncomfortable nature at at dealing with people like these like she's had to make all these choices throughout the last few chapters and arcs where she's like dealing with people that she doesn't doesn't feel 100% comfortable with dealing with but she feels like she has to and this is one that she's definitely uncomfortable with and I think that description kind of represents that really well 
Yeah, I mean, we've got we've got Citrine, who who was literally a, a villain, and Foil here, who I mean is technically a villain, who I, I think both represent the you know lawful, lawful evil <laughs> side of things uh, <laughs> at this point. Because um, they you know Foil is someone who basically wants stability and security, and that's why she's with the Undersiders because fundamentally that's what they give her. Um, so yeah, Foil represents the Undersiders. And she communicates that the, um, her team believes Cradle was responsible for the attack, plus a few other details like um, Lion Wing and two cases 53s were working with Cradle uh, for that attack. Yeah, and an unknown hireling, too. Um, mm-hmm. And th- so <laughs> the thing that I, I love about this, first of all, is that they're talking about that they know they have a pretty good feeling that cradle did it and or cradle supplied the tech to these people. Um, but the really juicy bits that it came from this joint and aren't known, I guess. Um, so that saves that as a fun reveal for later and goes into our, our worry about where that, that could go with the Victoria connection. But, um, we also learned that the two case 53s were not part of the irregular. So I remember when we thought for a second there that they were case 53s that, uh, Sveta would have a really hard time with that because they could be two people she knew and all the ex irregular she has very, very complex relationships with. But I think it says that um, they were not part of that group. Um, interesting enough that Weld knows that, but we don't get any names about who these two case 53s are. Yeah, right. It makes me wonder if there's someone that we should know. I, I kind of assumed not, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll be surprised. Yeah, we'll see. So there's this there's some discussion amongst the heroes over whether they can trust this information from the undersiders. Uh, Relay is actually being a huge pain in the ass here, and he keeps doing his like psychic read on everybody present and just like not being very trusting. Yeah, he sure is. Um, but to be fair, they're dealing with tattletale information here, so like I I kind of understand the reticence. Um, plus, he's probably like reading a bunch of really conflicted emotions from everyone right now like like victoria um the victoria is feeling pretty conflicted about this whole thing foil has some really conflicted opinions of her team that we'll get to hear about in a bit um so like he's probably like like sensing all these people and just getting these like really complex conflicting emotions and it's just like it makes him very very concerned about everything yeah um i i like the bit where um, she says like that she's, she, she's not too certain that her team is in the right. And he's like, yeah, but it's, it might be worse that your head is so full of, of conflicting feelings about your team that you don't know which end is up or something along those lines. Um, and it's like, it, it's a great way of telling us how, um, uncertain foil actually is. I mean, we, we, we could, <laughs> we can, we can read between the lines actually. She's so like passive aggressive toward Tattletale, um, consistently, um, but, but, you know, this is just kind of a confirmation that, that her, her membership in the undersiders seems very uncertain. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. relay still like a real, real dick though. <laughs> like, yeah. like foil says if I were, she says that if I were a hundred percent, um, and then relay retorts with a fallen dig for, for no reason other than yeah. to just like dig it at rain. If you were 100% right. clear you were on the right side, you'd be a fallen. And then he just like looks at Rain. Um, I think this is fascinating because like we have this like you're absolutely right that we have these these lawful good heroes gathering together and, and grouping up. But I think this serves as like a friendly reminder that 
although Breakthrough is definitely a hero organization, not all the other heroes are like super happy with the people that are on their team. Like these, these are people yeah. with bad, bad history. And they're not like they're not just like super happy that these guys are here and hanging out with us and on our side now. And it's like we're seeing that that kind of inter-team conflict there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Relay's behavior actually like reminds me of Tattletale a little bit here because he's uh, basically like pushing and prodding and, and saying inflammatory things to try to get a reaction um, and uh, so that he can use his power to get a read based on that reaction. Right, I think. right. Um, which is ironic because Tattletail is specifically the one who he's not uh, not wanting to join. Yeah, these so, these damn yeah. thinkers, Matt. Nothing but trouble. I know, fucking thinkers. So Victoria takes a deep breath before telling the assembled uh, people that they've agreed to address the cradle situation in tandem with the undersiders. <laughs> so basically saying, "Yep, we are we're teaming up with the villains." <laughs> Um, and she explains both teams will be needed to address Love Lost and Cradle and probably March somewhere in there at the same time. Meanwhile, they ask the other teams to look into the time stasis and other fuckery situation. Um, and possibly all the other heroes are going to have to fight the mercenary group who is intent on causing some kind of disaster by interfering with these stasis effects. Uh, Citrine mentions that there's not only Dauntless, who is kind of the one that gets talked about in the fandom so much, mm-hmm. but also Jotun and Alabaster um, in the Bakada time stop field from the Leviathan fight. There's also um, people who were trapped in time stasis during Bakada's original uh, bombing run. And then there's also people who got trapped in the scar in the wake of Pigot's bombing run. Um, so, so there's, there's a lot of possibilities of what could be going wrong. Yeah. And I think that, that that's kind of what this, section of the story is doing for us right like i think the community hears you know people interested in people trapped in time bubbles and they're like dauntless dauntless um which is understandable because he's this guy who had this like the super high power potential right um and so it makes sense but the book is saying yeah totally totally dauntless but also there's all these other people Right. I mean, I think we've talked about this recently, actually, this idea that Wildbo makes sure that he's he's throwing a lot of chaff in, into the story to, mm-hmm. to, to make us, you know, we can be relatively confident that like one of the things that some character has said at some point is going to turn out to have been the answer. But we don't know which one. But like like the heroes actually did say like, you know, who could be behind this attack? Well, you know, it could be a, uh, among the other 43 things they said. They said it could be a tinker scan of someone else's power, um, which is what exactly what it was, apparently. So, yeah, the, an- the answers are always there. It's just <laughs> Wablo doesn't Wablo wants to make it so that he keeps us guessing. And right, that's great. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, the, I like that. We we like we know we're reading a story, right? So we know that there's this big like big name character that's revolving around the thing. So obviously we assume that that it probably is going to have something to do with this big name character. But that's not how like like when characters act like they would act in a story. That's when they start to feel a little a little fake. That's when that that word contrived 
pops out, right? Like when a character yeah. is like, well, we're just assuming it's Dauntless because obviously everyone likes Dauntless. Um, but no, that's not like they're they're trying to solve a mystery within the world of the story um, and they need and, and it, it's one of a ton of possibilities. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, the heroes still have no real idea or or rather they have lots of possible ideas, but no solid ideas for why these groups are interested in the time manipulation effects. Citrine actually implies that her power might be able to interact with some of these effects, such as with Greyboy loops, and maybe turn them off, but she refuses to do so. Um, at first, Victoria assumes, like, because you're horrible, but <laughs> then she goes on to say, like, it's because the thinkers say, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. So the story's doing a lot of heavy lifting here, Matt, to uh, build up that fucking with the time loop stuff is a bad, bad bad idea thinkers say yep. no the wardens looked into it and said uh-uh even teacher was like fuck no i'm not no no um messing with these things is is such a bad idea that they're, they're definitely gonna get messed with <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i like that you pulled out that you know victoria's initial reaction to citrine was like was anger right she said i've looked into it i think i might be able to do it but i'm not going to do it and she's like oh so you're just going to choose not to help the people that are suffering for eternity and then she provides a reason but i mean like like we said victoria doesn't like citrine too much and she's dealing with her out of necessity and i like that we're getting reminders that like she's not cool with this yep Yep, and she's definitely. also and it's the mayor. She's like literally the law now. Like Victoria is a lawful good hero and Citrine is the law. Right. We talked about uh, we talked, I think, a few times about this idea that like her 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 heuristic, which she hasn't actually thought of in quite a while, is like first obey the law. And, and I think the reason she hasn't thought of it in a while is that the law just doesn't help no. in, in like any of these situations nope. anymore. They're just in this completely wild west scenario i mean that that, that was explicitly it like yeah. they, they were like man this is some wild west shit you, you call the police you say we have some super villains in custody and they say we can't do anything with them let them go so yeah she just has to it, it, it's really kind of disordered her her kind of way of thinking through things and yeah here we are in the situation where she's working with villains now yeah so but she's yeah. still Victoria, though, because and we see that right here in the end of this conversation where she asks for information on the victims of the time loops. Um, and Citrine says, I will. Bakuda's victims, the three heroes and Victoria is eating immediately. Not all heroes. Alabaster and Jotun were white supremacists, um, which is true. Obviously, they were um, they were part of Empire 88. Uh but that's so, it's such it's so on brand Vicky to like need to make that clarification. Right. It's like they're not all heroes. These two were bad guys. Um, we need to remember that. Right. Oh, I mean, and uh, um, also the fact that they were trapped in stasis because they were helping fight Leviathan. So like they were doing a good thing. Right. Well, I mean, it's complicated in this, in this particular instance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. I mean, I, I get exactly what you mean, though, that like she's just not. I think I think you're exactly right, actually, that she literally never lets anyone get away with, like, forgetting about the past. Right. Yeah. I should I should remove the word literally from that. But but <laughs> yeah, she she this is yet another example of like, nope, nope, not going to let anyone forget about the past. And this is her whole thing. Right. This is supposed to be a story about second chances. And she's making sure that Alabaster and, and Jotun aren't just given carte blanche. Yeah. 
So, which is really complicated considering there are several members of Empire 88 currently on a hero group right now. And we're about to specifically learn about them in a bit. Um, two, yeah. two people we knew from this, this, the last story are now as are part of a hero group. And yeah, I mean, that's complex. <laughs> that was really interesting to learn, actually, because I think we might have had an inkling of that, but yeah. now we know who. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we'll we definitely knew from very, very early on that that was happening, but to put to put names to it um, makes it a lot more real. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Uh, so Foyle suggests that the heroes consider hiring mercenary help to their side since they're about to be basically fighting a war on three fronts. It is like a really good time to be a cape mercenary right now like everyone's hiring you to do stuff yeah right i the reason i pull that specifically is that i can't imagine that that won't be employed actually like because all, all we kind of need now we have vicky working with the villains now she needs to deal with the moral ambiguity of working with somebody who just goes with whoever's paying the most yeah. Yeah, you know, say what you, say what you want about the undersiders. At least they have an ethos. <laughs> That's like the second time we've done that in two weeks. We did the <laughs> same is. thing with Cauldron last week. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Oh man, yeah. we're gonna get so much shit for that. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So as the meeting ends, Vicky checks in with a few people, and uh, then uh, leaves with nothing dramatic or horrible happening. The end. Yep. End of chapter. Let's move on. <sighs> so. No, she goes and talks to Weld and he kind of pretends that he wants to talk about the need to reach out to the shepherds uh, about the idea that Alabaster and Jotun might be involved in things because apparently it's Victor and Rune who are part of the shepherds. Yeah. But he kind of actually wants to talk about Sveta. Like about how happy and wonderful they are now and that everything is perfect and the chapter is over and we can just move on. So Weld confesses that Sveta's attempt to get physical upon his homecoming was not a positive experience for him. And he says, none of it worked. None of it. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I think that my heart sunk in my chest. I think that I felt all of the emotions that Victoria was describing herself feeling of, yeah, so, yeah, well, and I think the one thing that the, I think the chapter does a really good job of is like build up to this moment, right? Like where, mm -hmm. you know, she they're, they're wrapping things up and Weld kind of waves her down um, in, in like, I need to talk kind of manner. And in the back of your head, you're like, uh oh, <laughs> like, yeah. you don't even know what it is yet. And my first thought was, I need to talk to you about how Sveta's actually not doing very good because remember that guy she murdered that last or that girl she murdered that last arc. Um, and she's actually doing not doing great with it. Um, that was my immediate thought, but it's so much worse than that. But I just love how like through through his descriptions of of him, like how he's dealing, like what he looks like, like the way he approaches her, the way he frames the conversation, even even as he tries to small talk through the beginning of it, um, you can just tell that this ain't going to be good news. Like that, that we're about to talk about here is not work related and that's not going to be good. Yeah, I mean, isn't it interesting that we know these characters so well, even a, a re relatively tertiary character like Weld, that from the beginning of the conversation, his whole approach kind of feels off. Yeah. Um, like he goes out of her way to out of his way to get Victoria alone. And uh, I don't know, it's just it, it all feels kind of weird. And then you and then eventually realize why yeah. it does. Yeah, because he's about to talk about some real personal shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like how he keeps saying like, is this too much? Am I saying too much? Yeah. I don't know. I can never talk to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Victoria asks if he can communicate what's wrong and, and he just shakes his head immediately. And he says that he feels like he's played along with things for too, too long, too long. And like with this and with other things, like with the food, but he can't see this. He can't see the sexual part ever working. And he says, it takes what we can't have and pushes it into my face. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important when he starts this conversation, it kind of feels like he's made up his mind already. And I think that's really important to how all this stuff happens. Like, can you communicate? No, no, I can't. No, it's, yeah. it's not going to work. Um, and and you get the feeling like I think I think there's understanding behind that feeling, too. Right. Because like he's probably been struggling with this for a while now. Um, he was probably struggling with it when they were together. And then he goes on this mission and he has a lot of time by himself in the downtime of them fighting a big war on another in another universe to think about these things and to kind of work through and process this stuff on his own. Um, and then he comes home and then he's confronted by her and just says, OK, I'm just going to I'm just going to try and at the end of that experience, he probably feels just like he did before he left. And it's and it's like, OK, it's getting to the point where I have to do something now because this this ain't working. And so so he he does. He goes to someone for advice and he gets some advice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my like overall take on this whole conversation, uh, my expert opinion is like this is the attitude. These are the word choices of someone who deep in their brain has basically decided that they're going to break up with someone yeah, and is like elaborately dancing around admitting that fact to themselves or to anyone else, but mainly to themselves actually. Um, yeah, because, but, uh, yeah, because we see that he's driven by guilt about this, not just guilt about hurting a person he cares about, but, but, um, case 53 related guilt. Um, like there's so much complex stuff circling this whole thing. And, yeah, I mean, admitting that, you know, not only to another person, but to yourself is very, very difficult. Um, right. And, and and that's like we're going to talk about this a lot. And we're going to I think we're probably going to I can't be impartial about stuff like this because I've gone through not similar to this, but I've gone through some breakup shit um, that that impacts my impartiality. Um, so we're going to try to talk about what we think the text is saying about this. But we think we have to get a little personal too. just we, we have to. But yeah, I mean, everyone has their own life experience about this, this kind of thing. Right. 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 But yeah, so um, he does, he does mention, you know, as soon as he says the words breaking up with uh, Victoria pokes him in the shoulder, summoning up the wretch to do it and like shoving him into the wall and damaging the wall and the window frame. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Right. Um, yeah. What, what I love about this scene uh, on top of it, just being like, just wonderfully soul crushing writing that just like makes you feel all the things, which is what writing yeah. should do. Um, I love, I love that Victoria through it all. Like even if she makes choices that I personally don't agree with at the end of the day, um, she's so like wonderfully immediately defensive of her best friend. Like you, you got to respect the loyalty with which she cares about Sveta to the, like she's going to use the wretch to push him into like, that's a big deal, man. Like that's not like, like I, I, I just, I just, I was, it's, it's like, it's surprising. It's kind of shocking, but I'm like, okay, like at least you're super loyal. So, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's a great character moment. And, and I like that it's not 
the, the, the text, you know, you, you can do it both ways. Right. But I like that in this case, the text doesn't say like, I felt a surge of, of anger and defensive rage yeah. on behalf of Sveta and, and I blah, blah, blah. It's just like, she's like, what? Yeah. And she <laughs> knocks him into the wall yeah. right? and, and it, it's very like organic. And like, she's, she's not even, she's, she's so angry and, and upset that she's not even really being like self-aware about it. Yeah. Um, so Matt, I, I, so. I noticed a lot of chatter after this chapter came out um, about people wondering if like world has a thing for Victoria. Right. And mm-hmm. I think this might just be people like doing their thing where we try to imagine the worst possible outcome of this whole thing, because that certainly it seems to be where the story goes sometimes. And the worst possible <laughs> outcome for, for poor Sveta is that the, the guy she loves is actually in love with her friend who has a body. Um, but, but then you like, the only the only like textual version of this I could see that's that supports this hypothesis, though, is like when he when she shoves him into the wall so hard, he's like actually pretty close to feeling pain there. Um, yeah. Like like she made him feel something and she's got that 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 body that he likes. He likes. <laughs> yeah, he likes that body. He um, likes girls bodies. Yeah. He's mentioned this. So I could definitely see a potential for this. And yes, it would be just the worst possible thing. I mean, the text juxtaposes the idea, pretty much all of those ideas you just mentioned within this chapter yeah. of of him, you know, n- not not really being physically compatible with probably like a normal flesh and blood woman. But here's a flesh and blood woman who <laughs> can actually make him feel things. Right. Hmm, that's got to get the wheels turning, right? Yeah. And you're and you're very comfortable, you know, being very honest and communicative with her. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So eventually she deflates a bit like she her, her anger kind of cools off when she realizes he can't really be blamed for his feelings here, uh, even if it's all completely fucked. Uh, he, he ends by confessing that he's not sure if the love he feels for Sveta is like the love that he would feel toward a mate or toward like a friend or a, a what weld. What were you what were you going to say? <laughs> Like the thing I love about this is, is as we go through this chapter, like it's pretty much systematically like ticking every single Sveta was worried about Weld feeling this way boxes, right? Like every moment of insecurity that Sveta has shared with Victoria about her feelings and, and her worry about what Weld is feeling is basically proven true throughout this chapter, um, which is awful. So like, it is possible. Like, remember the point where she's like, I, I'm worried he sees me as like a little sister. So, I mean, it's possible that he was going to say that, but I don't think he would like pause uncomfortably and not say sister. Right. Um, someone on Twitter uh, responded to me as I was going through live, live tweeting and, and, and say, arguing that he, he was going to say pet, which, <laughs> which would be just awful. That would be just just the worst thing. Yeah. I, I I assumed it was going to be sister because that's what Sveta's afraid of. Right. And 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 like it's like I feel like him saying that word out loud would be like the guillotine blade sure. descending on the relationship. That, so like that would be him admitting. Yeah. 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 He can't. He can't. He can't even say it. I mean, that's yeah. Well, also, God, what a, what a horrible thing to say in front of Victoria, right? Oh, specifically. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh in fact, in fact, if he if he bit it back, then then that's probably why he bit it back to be like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't go there yeah. with Victoria. Jesus. Um, 
Yeah. Actually, now I'm even more convinced that it was going to be sister. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really, really. So we, we talked about this a little bit, but I'm really into that guilt that he feels of, as a person like not wanting to get data case 53. Right. Like, I, I think it's really like a fantastically well-constructed, like very human feeling that he's having, like that by rejecting a case 53, you're basically saying, oh, I they're not good enough for me, which which is inherently hypocritical, like as in his mind. Right. Um, yeah. I, like Victoria immediately likens this to interracial relationships. Um, she says, like, if you are a black person, you don't have to date a black person. You can date whoever you want. If you're disabled, you don't have to date a disabled person. You can date whoever you want. And I think that's a really apt comparison. And he kind of swats it away immediately. Right. He's like, no, it's not like that, because look at like this. This is that like that's totally normal. This is not. Um, but but it, I mean, I think it is an apt comparison because I think, you know, we finally got into a place in our society where um, those type of things are not seen as uh, as a big deal anymore. But I think there's still a lot of like complex emotions around um, and, and feelings of guilt at times around stuff like that. And I think that's a very human and understandable way to feel. Yeah, right. I mean, everything about about what Weld is feeling here is on some level relatable yeah. and um, and and understandable, even if you're like, I mean, I, like I, I just tracked with Victoria's emotions so much <laughs> in this chapter, like like because the text is like I folded my arms. Weld did much the same. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> fuck <laughs> yeah and, and like that, that's like exactly i mean ah i i i felt exactly the same and, and yet i can also step back from it and, and and like i just said empathize yeah um and victoria's like stuck in the situation where she's like this is a disaster and it's like no one's fault really right but also i'm pretty annoyed with weld but also it's no one's fault right so yeah yeah i mean and that's and that's the thing you're absolutely right that like even even him going into this relationship knowing what he knew about himself even him having doubts about the relationship as going through it is an understandable thing i think people do that a lot people get into relationships and they're not totally sure and they want to be like okay i'm not totally sure about this i'm not sure if i'm feeling it but i just want to see i just want to see if maybe um maybe that will change um that's understandable and but the problem is once you kind of get to a point where you've you've made the decision that no I, I this isn't my feelings aren't changing this is not working out that's that's the time where you got to cut and run you got to get out of there <laughs> because if you continue forward on that path when you're when you're pretty confident in your feelings then then you're just starting to be cruel and that's that's where we're heading yeah right well that's where we're i mean it's and and not not just because Weld is somewhat incompetent as a romantic partner, yeah. um, but also because of Victoria's involvement here, because she makes him promise not to do anything until he's talked to her and to come up with a reason for the breakup that is not an honest reason and also to not do anything for a month and a half. Yeah, he's <laughs> she says two months and yeah. his response is, OK, month and a half, like cause those, right. those two weeks, they're just too, like. Weld has made up his mind. Like I like there's no doubt in my mind that he's he's he knows he sees the writing on the wall and he doesn't want to face it because it's hard. Of course, it's hard. You're going to have to hurt a person you really, really care about. That sucks. Um, but 
leading them on for a month and a half, knowing the way you do, that's really bad. And, you know, like the thing that most makes me like afraid of the potential of this idea that he, he that he's actually into Victoria is is the fact that now, like when and if this actually happens, Svet is going to be like, hold on. You're you've been talking to Victoria behind my back for a while about this. Like it sounds very sketchy, right? Yeah. Like like when you step back from it and you look at all the pieces, it sounds very sketchy. Even if he's not actually into Victoria, actually, it sounds very sketchy. It's the kind of thing that could be horribly misinterpreted um, and made made much, much worse by the fact that uh, she's asked him to kind of sit on it yeah. like this. Yeah. I mean, it's them kind of conspiring together. Um, and it, like the thing is, they're both talking about Sveta because they both care about Sveta and they, and they, they want to do the least amount of damage to her as possible. Um, but they are two people getting together, discussing another person's feelings and deciding what she can and can't take and when and where we should do it and that kind of stuff. And yeah, that, I mean that from the outside certainly looks like a huge betrayal, which is like one of Sveta's big things is betrayal is people lying to her and betraying her and, it's just like, I, this is going to be a disaster. Like, this is going to be an absolute disaster. And like, like there's a lot, there's a lot that you can say about, um, this idea of not telling the person the truth, the true reason you're, you're breaking up with them because that would be too painful. And people do that all the time, right? Like when you, like, it is very rare in situations in this world where you break up with someone and you're just totally honest with the person. You're just like, I don't think you're good looking anymore. Sorry. <laughs> Um, people don't do that. And I get that. But I also just like, we're in a book and I know (laughs) that like that kind of deceit about that kind of stuff is going to come back around to bite you in the ass because like I, so I have been dumped and told a reason and I found out the real reason a few months later. And let me tell you, finding out that someone was dishonest with you while they were breaking your heart uh, makes it way, way, way worse. Um, and I just like, I, it's, it's going to be, I mean, this is, yeah. this is a shitty, awful situation for everyone involved. I feel bad for everyone in this situation. I do feel bad for Weld. I feel bad for the situation Weld's got himself into. Um, but I just like waiting a month and a half and figuring yeah. out, figuring out the adequate lie to tell her before you break her, her heart it's this is going to be disastrous yep yep i i agree it is and i I, i'm not i'm not i'm I'm not really joking that like i was like upset and worried about this all week ever since reading this chapter um i guess i I don't know i don't know if books affect me more than other people or, or i wonder if other people have been similarly like out of sorts thinking about like oh my god oh well no yeah i mean it I think it triggered some memories in me. And that's, I think my, my upsetness around this chapter was probably just connecting those dots. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. I think it, I think it probably triggers memories for me too, but like a different palette of them. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very human relatable kind of, kind of thing and, and, um, really lands, you know, Look, breaking up with people sucks. Sometimes you have to do it. You always feel like shit. You always do there are right ways to do it and there are wrong ways to do it. And I'm worried they're heading down the wrong way. (laughs) 
Yeah, Victoria needs to find an acronym for breaking up with people because <laughs> currently she's she's not doing it correctly. Yeah. And she says, uh, you know, if you break up with Sveta, meet a gorgeous girl and break Sveta's heart again, I'm obligated to throw you into the center of the Atlantic Ocean. Weld winced. Sveta's dished on my weaknesses then, I guess. Hmm, not really. Fear of mine. So he's basically saying this is a terrible fear of his. And somebody <laughs> on the Discord actually reminded us that Weld willingly went on a prolonged sailing voyage with Sveta before the start of the story. So, like, he was actually exposing himself to this danger for her. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, Matt. He does love her. Like, it's just not yeah. the kind of love that Sveta has. It's not the yeah. same kind of thing. And right. you got to communicate that. Like, you got to let them know what's going on. Yep. Yep. Um, so... We then jump from this horrible, horrible interaction to another powwow with Tattletale. Uh, the Undersiders, Breakthrough, and many Heartbroken are present in the Breakthrough headquarters. Um, so the meeting with the heroes was sparse and empty, and the meeting with the Undersiders feels uh, too hot and too cold at the same time to Victoria. So it's it's uh, it's weird. Yeah, so exactly what she wanted in the other situation. She's got it, but it's weird because yeah because of the people it's also weird because they're in uh breakthrough headquarters right like they're they're invading their space like we have heartbroken playing with chris's video games that they found it's just like they're they're there they're in their second home um and fucking uncomfortable victoria says yeah yeah um i i I don't so the the thing that i i want to talk about there like the weird thing about this for me we have this this bombshell of a conversation that you said made you feel bad, you know, for a week. Um, Victoria doesn't think about it throughout any of the rest of this chapter and any of next chapter. Right. She doesn't nowhere in her internal narrative. Does she mention Sveta or Weld or the stuff that was discussed in that thing? She has little moments in here where she kind of looks over at Sveta, um, but she doesn't interact with her at all. Um, in fact, when we get to the point where they split up into different teams, they're on different teams. Um, I think like Victoria is like dealing with this in, in a very like, like closed off kind of way. Like, okay, that let's, I'm going to shove that aside and not think about it and not worry about it. Um, and, and I think like we see her uncomfort with a lot of stuff that's going on and maybe her reticence to speak up or argue in some situations in the rest of this chapter as kind of like a betrayal of her messed up emotions as a result of that conversation. Right, yeah, I think she she's avoiding Sveta, maybe, yeah. and, and doing it in a way where she's not even aware of it, maybe. Yeah, well, and, yeah, and it's, not only avoiding yeah. Sveta, but avoiding all of it, like like mentally yeah. avoiding it too. Yeah, absolutely. We we know that that's kind of a thing with her in general. Yeah. Um. So in this kind of interesting setting, we have Ashley off to the side talking to Florence, uh, who is trying to give her some kind of fate worse than death. We're not actually sure what, but. We just got this kind of feral child who's like trying to harm Ashley while Ashley talks to her. She's like, kind of funny. she's like tied up or something. Yeah, tied up by the whip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just you know, more reminders of the the, the heartbreakers and their potential <laughs> terribleness. Yeah, just surrounded by things meant to put you on edge yeah. constantly. Yeah. Uh, the various members of both teams communicate pretty effectively with each other without any real hostility. 
uh, and they settle on a pre uh, three pronged assault, simultaneous assault on March, Cradle, and Loveloss. That's the plan they go with. Uh, I think like the only real sniping in this whole meeting is actually between Foil and Tattletail, which goes further to emphasize that idea that Foil is not happy with the undersiders right now. Yeah, and I think it it links back to that uh, to Tattletail's interlude, right, where she uh, sensed some stuff in foil and her response was to just be super rude back to her. (laughs) Um, And that's what we see here too. Like we see like, like foil doesn't even get to finish her statement. You can be such a, uh, and her such a bitch sometime. Is that what you're (laughs) going to say? Yeah. Well, at least I'm upfront about it, which is like, you're hiding your feelings toward me. So it's like, it's like, I love that we're seeing that, that insecure nature of tattletale and her relationship with foil, like come out in different ways here. I like that a lot. So this is definitely the like the the relationships arc so far because yeah foil foil is a member of the undersiders entirely because um um Perian yeah. is a member of the undersiders yeah. and, and Perian is a member of the undersiders for complicated family and financial reasons and and doesn't really feel I think that she can be freed of it but 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 it's it's their it's their romantic relationship that keeps her bound there. So I think this this chapter and I think this arc in a greater sense is actually exploring this idea of of all these little little hooks and, and yeah. intricacies and pitfalls and and you know um the the dark side, if you will, of of, of relationships, of romantic relationships specifically. Are you saying they're blinded by love? I think that's exactly right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, um, I, I, I was joking with that, but as I said it, I was like, oh, yeah, wow, that this works. Yeah. Um, okay. So, oh, no, we need to say, sorry, we need to say one more thing before we move on. Um, okay. Because Victoria comes up with her own plan, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, w- they decide to go with this three-pronged strike plan, but, but that was not Victoria's plan. Victoria's plan was, um, we need to take out our stuff first, and then we'll do one of your stuff, and then we'll do our stuff again. And everyone in the room is basically like, no, like, I actually like this other one better. Like everyone said the only person that doesn't get involved is Tattletail, who uh, is staying out of it, um, which is what triggers the whole foil yell at talk. But everyone else is like, no, it would be better if we split up and do this three pronged strike. And Victoria doesn't argue like at all. She just says, oh, that's what the group wants to do. I'm going to go with the group. And she says to herself, sometimes with groups, a mediocre plan that everyone was on board with was much better than a fantastic plan with disgruntled people and people who had no idea what they were doing and why. So like even upon agreeing with this three pronged attack plan, she still thinks it's a bad one. She's just going with it, you know, not to rock the boat. And uh, along with this being, you know, in, in my mind, like indicative of Victoria's kind of like disheveled state right now where she's like like maybe just like emotionally exhausted from the whole weld conversation um it it also shows that like um it's another thing when it goes wrong which we know it is going to go wrong when it goes wrong it's another you know chink in victoria's like i was right um people should just do what i want them to do type of Mm -hmm. thing yeah I mean, it, like it, it is actually good leadership to to be willing to go with what the team wants, yeah. Because it's something the team understands. I agree, yeah. But but like I I think the flip side of it is she does think it's an inferior plan, um, but she just doesn't have 
like the energy to fight for it or to persuade them that it's a better plan. Right. You know, well, it's like, like she doesn't even like rally back and say like, well, let me try one more time to try to explain what I mean. Yeah. No. You know, she's like, oh, OK, well, yeah. All right. Whatever. It's like, for example, if I'm in a group of people and I say, let's eat chicken. And then uh-huh. someone else goes, mm, I think I'm going to eat poop. And then like everyone else is like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's eat poop. Yeah, that's great. Mm. And and you're in the back of your mind. You're like, no, that's poop is gross. We shouldn't yeah. eat that. But you're like, all right, everybody wants to eat poop. I guess we'll eat poop. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> I mean, it's not literally that because the argument of which plan is actually inferior or not is up for debate. But in her mindset, it is a bad plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't focus on that too much when I read it, but yeah, she, she's going along with the plan that she doesn't like and we already know it's not going to work out well. And, uh, yeah. Don't eat the poop is the lesson. Don't eat the poop. So we go into the poop eating chapter (laughs) 11.5. Um, the chapter opens, uh, with this kind of slightly disorienting description of the spider climbing a building, uh, which I think maybe is on some level supposed to evoke, cradles multi-handed spider robot warframe thing um but as the description resolves we realize that it's actually a spider doll made by parian and that foil is using it in an extremely complicated and dangerous way to scale a building yeah but she's foil matt she's got it um yeah i like your comparison to the cradle hand thing um that didn't occur to me as i was reading but i i I like that and once i read that i went back and read the intro to the chapter and i could see where the the text is kind of uh maybe leading you there a bit at the beginning before it it reveals the truth i kind of like that yeah Uh, so the needle points are uh, joined by victoria and rain from breakthrough and eroa candy and chastity of the heartbroken Um, so like we we get a bit of background on this team selection apparently it was partially a matter of solving the wolves, chicken, corn problem of basically making the team such that they don't kill each other uh, rather than any like specific attempt to get useful power synergies. Ah, yeah. So this whole working together plan continuing to go super well. Yeah, right. That, that, that was like ringing alarm bells in my head where I'm like, OK, you had this many capes to choose from and nobody put any thought into power synergies. You're basically just trying to create team units where where they aren't just explicitly horribly dysfunctional <laughs> great Woo! this plan yeah. this they're eating the poop yep so victoria thinks the team has far too many wolves uh which is an interesting description recalling the fact that swan song referred to herself as a wolf in sheep's clothing earlier um and and then also like the, the moment where victoria re- reflected on that later and said uh in the uh, in the chapter where they're hunting imp she'd called herself a wolf earlier and i could see it now pack hunting stalking dead serious and very dangerous i, I like this kind of repetitive idea of, of wolves yeah i like that um, and yeah we also learned the compositions of the other groups uh so one group hunkered back in the vehicles is uh three heartbroken chicken little sveta and capricorn uh, along with Tattletail, and that group is going after Cradle. The other group is Imp, Florence, with uh, two other heartbroken Lookout and Swan Song, keeping an eye on March until Rachel arrives, at which point perhaps they'll attack her. Um, so basically, we are table setting, right? Like yeah. we're, we're priming us 
um, with where everyone is um, and who they're after so that this knowledge is already in our brain when it comes time for us to, you know, use it. And, and of course, we understand by elimination that Victoria's group is the one going after Love Lost. Yeah, yeah. And as much as I, I kind of agree with Victoria, especially with my future site, that this is a, a, t- a terrible plan. Um, I love the split up mechanic as like a storytelling device because like like we're we're taking our limited point of view of Victoria first person and excluding all the other characters we care about from it. Right. Um, the the people on the people were the characters were probably most worried about in in uh, relation to the last few chapters of information are Kenzie dealing with everything that happened with the whole Chris situation and Sveta dealing with everything that happened um, or everything in, in, in our minds about the uh, about to explode world situation. Um, and they're been removed from our main character's point of view. So we don't get yeah. to know what's happening to them. And note that they're also put into different groups, which I think is, is again, clever because now they're divided. So we're, we're worried all over again. Um, and and I, like I wildly uses this device in the past, right? Like one of the reasons why the Lime Center chapter was so tense is because our group was divided and we couldn't see what was happening to the other members of the group. We might be able to get ha- out of here without being seen, but will they get out of here without being seen? And he, he used that general tension of not knowing um, to to ramp up our concern for everything that's going on. And uh, it works again really well here. And I, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So the group discusses the idea that powers are inherently not trustable and not helpful. And uh, Parian is is kind of the one taking this position pretty hard. Yeah, I know that Parian's like true power has become something of a meme in the community. But I enjoy like seeing that like the reason she's not using her power appropriately or correctly the reason she hasn't used the true power right is because still here even in this moment she still doesn't trust it she doesn't trust her power she doesn't like her power and she doesn't like using it and i I, that's just like consistency of character that i really like yeah i I like that idea because it, it it could mean that like she knows what her secret power is or has an inkling of it but doesn't like it or it could mean that like she just doesn't even trust or or enjoy her power enough to like try to figure out what it could be. Yeah. Um, but but either way, I think it lines up nicely with like the character who whose power has a has a secret true use is the character who strongly distrusts powers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we look back at Taylor and and how much she increased her power just by like studying it and using it and and pushing it to its limits. And when you're a person that doesn't trust your own power, you're just not going to do that. Yeah. 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 Um, and th- I, I really like like this whole this whole talk about powers. Right. And I like I really like how it ends because we're talking about these characters and like the, the general sentiment is. Everybody has a shitty time, like every cape ha- has a really shitty time. And then the argument is, well, some have it easier than others. And the, it's like, yeah, true, um, true, undeniably true. Parian says, but easier still isn't easy. And Victoria says, I like that distinction. Um, because I think, and I like that coming from Victoria because I bet a lot of people would look at, you know, Victoria's early life, um, especially as a second generation Cape, um, and say that she got off pretty easy, at least at first. Right. Um, yeah. like in, in their glory girl times, she got off easy as compared to a lot of other people. Now that obviously changed, but, um, yeah, but, I, yeah. but I just, I just like, I like her, you know, 
enjoying that distinction for very personal reasons. Yeah, yeah, good point. I didn't make that connection to the idea that like this is Victoria specifically saying it. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Cool. So during this downtime, while Foil scouts the rooftop, Chastity decides to fuck with Rain by coming on to him. Uh, Parian warns him off in the most dire possible tones. And I don't know, like I, I, I quoted a huge amount of stuff here, which I, <laughs> so, so like th there's this stuff where like he starts blabbing to them about like, about um, Aaron precipice. I said, don't tell them that don't share that information, especially when Parian is warning you trying to keep my partner from falling off a building. Parian said absently, you might be more in, 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 uh, in more danger precipice uh, noted. And then later, um, like he he's like started talking and then been stopped a couple times, and then it goes on and says, uh, "Precipice against all sense and sanity opened his mouth to explain. I'm flattered, but even if it wasn't really weird, uh, even though she and I aren't together, it might never be. Stop sharing information about your love life with the people who call themselves heartbroken." I said. <laughs> I turned to the younger heartbroken. No offense. No, no, you're totally right, Candy said. Yeah, Precipice said. He managed to stay silent for two fucking seconds before telling <laughs> Chastity, I can't mess around, at least for now. I'm not doing anything in that neighborhood. Oh my God, this whole part is so wonderful. It is, it's so, it's so great. But like, here's another relationship, Matt. <laughs> yeah, here's another yeah. one. Um, so let's talk about this for a bit. Let's talk about Aaron and Rain a bit. Um, because this yeah. has been... You know, it's been a year now since we talk about the story, Matt, and we've been dealing with Rain's unrequited love for Aaron since almost the beginning of that story. Yep. And, and we found a wonderful pair humans way of bringing that back into the frame. Yep. Yep. But I think I want to I want to break down the relationship um, because I think. I think this is so fascinating to when you look at at w the trials and tribulations of air rain um <laughs> over the course of this the story so let's just journey through it let's remind ourselves of everything that's happened so far before we move on to talk about this so the story starts um rain isn't very clearly in love with aaron um like he like really really he's really attracted to her he really likes her but he sees himself as like the shitty unworthy person um so he just doesn't like he won't he won't ever do anything about it. Um, we kind of get ver some very explicit um, hints towards sh her just seeing him as a really good friend. And that's all. And then terrible things happen. And Aaron is being forced by the fallen to marry and is basically given to rain. Um, she admits that she really only ever saw him as a friend. But if she had to marry someone, well, I guess it could be him. Yeah, and then it could be worse. Yeah, and then as soon as she started thinking in that line of of uh, that through line, suddenly she says, hey, you're actually attractive. Like you got that 90s grunge thing going on. Um, and then and then she loves him now. She loves him. Um, and of course, he rejects her. He turns her down because the stipulation is um, they have to stay there with the fallen and he can't do that. And he won't let her do that either because it will destroy her too. And he knows that. So he rejects her. Um, and that's the end of that whole thing. Um, then rain as part of the whole fallen war saves Aaron and her family. Um, she apologizes to an injured rain and um, apologizes for being so angry and thanks him. Um, then says specifically, can we just go back to being friends? 
ouch. <laughs> so yeah. we see him back in the friend zone. Then when we next see Aaron, um, she's hanging out with the new and improved rain. She's hanging out with a rain that's more confident. He's got that new haircut. He's kind of a changed person. And she seems uh, a little flirty with him, right? Like this, I think that's something we called out in those chapters that she was kind of not too, uh, like subtly flirting with him. Yeah. And especially when he's in his, um, uh, extremely, extremely cool form, right. Uh, of, of, with the hologram. But yeah, like she, she does seem to be flirting with him and, and like maybe even like sitting slightly too close to him, stuff like that. Yeah, But he seems uh, pretty and, unaware of it. Right. Yep. Yep. I agree. So that, that's their journey through the story so far. And now we learn that, that he's still like really, like he says here that he loves her. Like he says he likes her a lot, maybe even loves her. Um, that's not this. This is not good. <laughs> this is not good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, where does this relationship? I think there's too much baggage in this relationship for anything to ever happen. Like, I, I just feel like they've gone through too much complex emotional shit. Like, I, I don't know if like someone being almost brainwashed into uh, falling in love with you is a recoverable state for a relationship going forward. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my mind goes to like a whole different place where it's like, they, the, it, more like the practical realities of like, let, let's say that he did like, you know, make an overture and they, and they started dating. Like what, what is that? What does that look like? Because he, he has this like crazy Cape life and he, he's being hunted by people who are trying to murder him. She's, she's a normal person and she's like trying to deal with her family being fallen or being ex fallen or whatever their situation is right now. And I'm just like, let, let, like he, and, and then for like beyond that, she's kind of this person who's like a, like, like a city person. Like she's very stylish and he's like his, his fantasy, like his literal fantasy is to go live by himself in the woods in a house. Yeah. yeah. So, so like they, 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 they don't seem very compatible. Now I, I also, I would add the addendum that, I actually don't think that compatibility works the way most people think it works. Like you can have a lot of superficial things that are different, but if you get along really well, I think that can make up for it. But all of that, all of that aside, um, it's interesting that I kind of share your, your worry, but I think for different reasons. Yeah. I mean, I think in conclusion, uh, it's not healthy for a dude to keep pining over this girl. And and what I love about it is, is Victoria makes it so very clear here that he's so desperate to talk about Aaron to anyone who will listen that even as people are saying, stop it, stop it. And he's like, yeah, "Uh, noted, uh, noted. (laughs) But actually, I'm going to keep talking. But it's like, dude, come on. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, this is a bad idea. Right. This is a bad, bad, bad idea. He's he's got some things on his chest. Needs to get him off his chest and. And yeah, I mean, God, it's it, it is it is really funny to me how before we started this discussion, I did not realize that this was going to be the Matt and Scott talk about relationships for two hours episode. <laughs> but it is. Yeah, it's it's everywhere. It's all over everything. Yeah. Send us your uh, relationship questions, and we will provide you with our incredibly sage advice. Yeah. Hey, that's a good idea for an, a, a new segment for the show, like uh, uh, a. a a romance advice column. Like I've been married um, like two years. I don't know if I'm going to call myself poster child for successful relationships. 
Yeah, we're really good about talking about this story. So, <laughs> um, so Victoria has a brief heart to heart with Parian over why she's staying with the Undersiders. Uh, and it's mainly, as we said before, that her family needs care after being bone sawed. Yeah, which is a pretty great reminder of like this awkward situation that exists, right? Where we've like amnestied all these horrible monsters, but like their victims are still out there suffering in the world. <laughs> like, like I, like I wonder, like, could Bonesaw not fix them? I uh, I thought about this for a minute, and I was like, maybe they just don't want to go under the knife, yeah. uh, you know, with Bonesaw specifically. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, but like, I don't, I don't I just feel like, I feel like if you have, I feel like the PRT, like, she shouldn't have to be with the villain group for people to take care of her parents at this point, when the person who was responsible for that is like sitting with the good guys now. I don't know. It just. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, just it's a the kind of thing, hear. right? It, well, like, I, I don't even know exactly what's the deal, right? Like, Bonesaw can do plastic surgery that's essentially magic, um, but like, n- like, 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 no, no, no earthly plastic surgeon can do or or can undo, for that matter, what Bonesaw does. So, it's it's more a matter. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's left as a, enough of a question mark that we can just kind of say like, yeah, whatever the situation is. She needs more financial resources than hero work can give. Yeah, which is sad. It's sad. Yeah. Um, so there's this important uh, bit where uh, it turns into Chastity telling him that she would have hurt him very badly if he had been willing to betray somebody that he loved. Um, but since he was steadfast, now she's going to protect him. Uh, and uh, it's very anime. I love it. Yeah, well, it's like... <laughs> So not only is am I worried about Rain because he needs to he probably needs to stop being hung up on Aaron, but like this is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. like she's like, oh good, um, you were loyal, ergo you get to live. Hooray! Yeah. Um, yeah. And and she says this this thing like unrequited or complicated sorts of love are still love, and love is the most important thing. Um, <laughs> and I think if anything, what the, what the text is doing, what the text is using chastity to do here is to illustrate how unhealthy Rand's continued will they won't they with Aaron is right. Like because because like if you have he's he's has this unrequited love for this this woman that's gone on through a year's worth of story um, since he's known her, basically. And and like chastity sees this and says, ah, yes, that is a good thing. Like, it's like, OK, maybe that's a bad thing. <laughs> maybe that's the text being like very clearly um, that's a that's a bad that's bad. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I'm as worried about rain as you are, um, but uh, I, I, I'm interested in your perspective here. Yeah, I, we'll, I don't, we'll see. I don't know if I'd call it like like actively like, oh, God, rain screwed. Um, but I just think like he's talking himself into problems. Yeah. 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 All right. So. um Foil signals at them to stop and to take shelter. And she tells Victoria that there's a no man's land ahead that they can't really cross in the open, a gap that prohibits them from sneaking directly up to where Love Lost is hiding out. When Victoria returns to the ground, she finds that now Chastity hates Rain again because he was responsible for killing someone Love Lost cares about. Um, So tumultuous things happening. (laughs) And uh, Chastity then talks about Heartbreaker 
driving her and Candy's mom off to die in the wilderness. Yeah, that's awful. And she blames yeah. herself. She says, I didn't do anything either. And this is like this. I think you're right that like she comes in like Victoria joins this conversation and then Chastity's like really pissed off at rain. And we're seeing like how how fast her emotions swing. But I think they they do kind of share a moment here. Right. Where it's like they both they both have guilt for perceived or in rain's case, accurate inaction causing the death of people. Um, and yeah. And like the, the thing, the thing that I love about this is the heartbroken continue to be these people that are simultaneously hilarious, terrifying and tragic all at the same time. And, and they mm-hmm. kind of cycle through these three emotions. So you can never really get a firm feeling on them. Like there's never like if, if I told you, how do you feel about the heartbroken? It'd be like, well, that's um, really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, like her, she, she kind of seems to hate rain for a minute, but then that kind of just like melts into her being sad yeah. about, about the past. And, and then we're left to wonder like, okay, but is she still gonna, like, is she going to try to kill rain when nobody's looking or, <laughs> or, or, or take or away, kind of, or take away the person yeah. rain loves just like he took away yeah. the person someone else loves. Yay. Yay. Good things to think about. Um, so this is this seems like a really critical quote here. Uh, don't, I interrupted him, don't work to convince them to hate you. He folded all four of his arms, too flesh and too mechanical. Was he so reflexive in trying to own up for his mistakes that he'd make enemies by admitting to them? I wasn't even sure what the right decision to make here was. Oh, I love this, Matt. I really, I really love this. But this is both like, I think, super accurate to rain and his con- continued struggle with his, his own guilt, right? Like he's just because one person has forgiven you, you're not done feeling that guilt. And he's continually struggling with the guilt and his his role and everything and how to make it right. And I think there is part of him that wants people to hate him because that would at least make sense. Um, it, it would yeah. like he, he thinks he's just deserving of hatred for what he did. So, yeah, he's going yeah. too far. Right. I like that she calls it reflexive because at this point it almost is reflexive. Yeah. He, he's just like he's he's basically saying like no no don't don't uh don't forgive me i really did a horrible thing and it was not it was not excusable yeah and and she's like really in this context just shut your damn mouth rain (laughs) um but yeah i think there's more to this there's the the aspect of like victoria whose whole thing for a long time has been like people should own up to their mistakes and you should never be able to live down your mistakes is telling she's the one telling him that right and 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 she's not sure what to do either like i wasn't even sure what the right decision to make there was is it right that he reflexively makes people hate him because that's what he deserves because he did that bad thing that's what he deserves and i think i think victoria at the start of this book probably would have said that right like i think at the start of this book victoria would have said yes that's absolutely what he deserves everyone should hate him he did this terrible 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 thing to people and he deserves everyone's hatred and part of his repenting should be to make that as clear as possible to everyone he meets that he is this person and everyone should know the type of person he is and we're seeing her feelings towards that are getting less clear yeah yeah that's how i would see it too yeah She's, she's very like, she's, she's off balance in almost every way now. Like all of her touchstones are becoming loose and unreliable and she doesn't, she's, she's unsure, you know, that that's literally what she says. 
So this interaction is interrupted uh, by the team having to take cover again as, as, the patrol pla- as a uh, patrol of Love Lost people passes by. The people in the car see Candy, and we understand that they are actually looking for someone in this area. I, I guess maybe this ties back into this idea that Love Lost has boosted her sensory ability and maybe she knows they're here. Yeah, especially like since we learned that it's like tech sensing, right? And Victoria has mm-hmm. been using this, this HUD thing to check up mm-hmm. on her teammates. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but yeah, I think you're right. So the combined team now enters the sewer drains via via Rain's silver blades just as Lord of Loss flies overhead. It's our favorite tree bird centaur boy, Matt. Yay. It's been a while. I missed him. It's been a while since yeah. I've seen this guy. Yeah. Uh, Victoria and we get a scare as she looks at her little wrist HUD thingy and realizes that all the other teams have been brutally dismembered. Uh, no, wait, it's just glitching out. Did you let yourself um, feel that for at least half a second? I, I did, yes, <laughs> ab- absolutely. I did too. A, a little start of like, oh, God, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a good stretch of confusion and anxiety um, as Victoria and the rest try to puzzle out what's happening. Uh, and then we realize what's happening. The walls start to glow with the faint pink and creepy nursery sounds become audible. The last communication they receive is someone is a, a somewhat ambiguous symbol suggesting that one of their three three groups is being attacked, and then that's it. So, are you saying that um, the combined Love Lost Cradle uh, March team decided to do the take out one at a time instead of the split up plan? I mean, that definitely seems <laughs> like like first of all, we've got. Um, We've got Lord Vloss here who, like, I don't think he was even, like, under consideration as being a factor. No. And, and and nursery. So, like, the people who they're fighting right now are actually, like, mercenaries, not even um, the people who they were targeting. So, like, everything is just much worse than they planned for, I think, is the idea here. Yeah, I, I really I really got the, the callback to the take them one at a time plan and, and Victoria's, you know, like, thinking that was the better plan. Mm-hmm. As soon as as soon as we saw, you know, the idea that three groups are converging on one place, my immediate response was, oh, it's just the bad guys are doing the Victoria plan <laughs> and yeah. the plan that they maybe should have done if she had like fought for it a little more. Yep. I think you're right. I think that's exactly I, I, I don't know if I I don't know if I caught that, frankly, but I, I agree with you. Yeah. That, that, that's probably what's being said. So here we go. I think yeah. we're going to have a, a fight chapter next Yep. So that's it. That's all the the reading for this week. Let's do a, let's do our discussion question. All right. And uh, next week we will discuss your responses to it at the end of the episode. So the question is, what is the healthiest cape relationship in the parahuman saga? Yeah, and I guess I don't know. Do we want to say specific like a romantic relationship? Um, you know, I kind of I, I like it when people. I, I think try to try to make it a romantic relationship because that's this is the Valentine's Day chapter, I guess. Um, <laughs> but like. It can be normal relationship if you find a, if you find one that you really think is important. Yeah, if you really want to talk about a, a non uh, romantic in nature relationship, go for it. Yeah. But I think well, that's the, the intent of the question is is parahuman romance. Yeah, or or a non even a non cape relationship if there's one in particular. But yeah, I, I I like I think we'll get some fun answers here. Yeah. 
Cool. And uh, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at loveline. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. We've got all of our weekly shows back in swing now. Um, Book fun book clubs. We're doing various streaming of video games at various times, too. Right in the middle of that starcraft tournament matt that's it's going great it's so much fun yeah it's it's really awesome we're gonna do i think we're gonna do more of these tournaments going forward yeah, i'm already out of the, the tournament but it's fun <laughs> yeah uh and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them consider donating to our patreon patreon.com slash media you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford supporting us on patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contests Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. And special thanks to new Bidoofs, uh, Naaman and Eamon, at the $1 level. Thanks so much. We really appreciate that. Naaman and Eamon? Thanks, hey. thanks Naaman and Eamon. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Thank you, guys. And as so always, much. yeah, definitely. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon. Patreon.com slash Wildbo and donate to him as well because this is his world. We are just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Zorlgodu. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) From our increasingly growing Australian fan base. We have a lot of uh, Australian listeners, Matt. Uh-huh. Anyway, cool. Zorla Godu gives us five stars and says, A great show. Worm and Ward are among my favorite stories of all time. I've read Worm multiple times and spent too much of my day thinking about both Worm and Ward and discussing them. So it's high praise that the discussion of Scott and Matt always gives me new angles to consider and ideas to think about. If you haven't read the stories, do so and listen through these old episodes of the podcast as you do, because it will elevate the way you interact with these stories and with stories in general. Thank you so much, Zorla Godu. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's so kind Zorl, yeah we really Zorl appreciate that i was thinking of doing it in an australian accent but i've decided i'd like our australian listeners and so i yeah. will not do that to them yeah I, I don't know how to say that in an american accent so <laughs> all right that's it for this week we'll be back next week with the latest chapters of arc 11 blinding don't forget to vote for maybe this song that's playing right now or maybe the other one that played at the beginning of the thing